Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the blessing and gift of this day. Thank you for drawing us here, Lord, for drawing our hearts to you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us this morning. Please give me the words to proclaim to your people, Lord. May I be faithful to the call you have placed before me, and may we be faithful to you, Lord. Open our hearts. Open them up, Lord God, so that you can breathe into them with the power of your Holy Spirit. You can refresh us and restore us, Lord, and draw us into your presence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning! It's great to see you all today. Well, as many of you know, I like to weld in my free time. It's kind of fun. And so I had a few pieces of scrap metal that I decided to weld together. And the cool thing about welding is if you want things to stick together forever, you weld them. Right? If I wanted to take these pieces apart, would that be easy? Hopefully not. That meant I did it wrong. Right? If I, if I did a poor weld on it, you could smack it on something and ping, fall apart. But a good weld really holds. And the cool thing about a, a good weld is that if you cut a cross section of it, you can actually not tell where one piece of metal ends and the other piece begins. You can't tell the difference between the little piece, the big piece, and the weld in between them. They all have been melted and formed together. And that's what happens when you run electricity that turns into heat into it at like 6,000 or 8,000 degrees Celsius, which in Fahrenheit is like really hot, (laughs) right? It just liquefies that metal and it turns it all into this one thing. It's pretty cool, huh? If I wanted to take these apart, there's other techniques Uh, instead of welding that I would use. I could like, you know, clamp them together or I could duct tape them, bailing wire. Right, But if I want it to stick together and need it to stick together, welding is the way to do it. Pretty cool, huh? Welding process. Now, something like that Jesus is referencing in our gospel passage for today. He is speaking about that process of making two things one. Today we'll be working through Jesus' words in the gospel of Mark, which refer to divorce and remarriage. Now, is there anybody in the congregation who has not been touched in some way by divorce and remarriage? Does anyone out there say divorce? I've never heard of such a thing. Is that true? No, we all are touched by this, right? Either we or someone we love or care for has it gone through this pain and difficulty of divorce, right? We all are acquainted with this. And so in the midst of this, let me begin by saying that while Touching on divorce might be painful because of the memories that are often filled with shame or guilt or pain or betrayal. I hope that we'll all be blessed as we hear the words of Jesus, which do challenge and do cut to the heart, but his words also heal and redeem. Because this is not to be a message of condemnation, but rather a message of release. Because the law, while it condemns, it leads us to receive grace in our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, as I preach this sermon, uh, if you have any questions that come up, because obviously I'm not, I don't have enough time to give a full treatment of the topic, and even of this text, we're only going to be doing a part of it, but if you have any questions or concerns about it, please grab me after the service, or come and speak to me during the week. Um, This goes for any sermon or anything I ever say. Please come and talk to me about it. That being said, everyone okay with the ground rules? Okay, good. 
we are in the section of the Gospel of Mark in which Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem and toward his death and resurrection. He has been particularly addressing how his kingdom values are different from the world's values. On this journey, he is approached by some Pharisees who, according to our text, are there to test Jesus. As an aside, testing Jesus is not a good idea. Okay, just, just write that in your, like, not-to-do list. Like, do not test the Lord your God, right? So, but the Pharisees don't follow by those rules, even though they love rules. And so they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now talk about getting straight to the point, right? They don't really beat around the bush. They just want to know this answer. Now let's take a moment to discuss divorce in Judaism in the first century. Okay? Now the only commandment that referred to the regulations around divorce is from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, which you all know off the top of your head, right? It has to do with a husband writing his wife a certificate of divorce for some indecency. That's not really the command part, though. The commandment comes later on in the verses when it refers to prohibiting the first husband from remarrying his wife after she's been married to and divorced somebody else. Right? It's not a verse that applies in very many situations. Um, But really what they say, the intent of this commandment was to prevent the wife from being stuck with having to pay a dowry for a second time to the same husband. It was meant to be a protectionary commandment for the woman. Um, Doesn't really do anything for the guy, which is fine, right? And so there's several other spots, though, where the Lord expresses his displeasure with divorce, but there's not a ton of scripture about this. Sometimes, though, a paucity leads to abundance because where the scriptures didn't like delineate like a process for divorce or anything like that, um, Jewish scholars filled that in. Right? As often happens, right? The rabbi Ben Sira mentions that you can divorce your wife if she does not accept your control. So keep that one in your back pocket. <laughs> right? Uh, Josephus, the jo- Jewish historian, articulates that you can divorce her for whatever cause. And the school of Hillel argues that, that this whatever cause thing covered even a poor meal Right? Like burn the bread or something like that. Or, as others articulate, if you find someone better looking. Right? I I didn't write this stuff, all right? I'm just call it like I see it, okay? So that's where it was. This is the context that Jesus is speaking in. These Pharisees come up to Jesus saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? With this context in mind, they live in a world where that is how it works. There is the one rabbinical school, uh, the school of Shammai, that argues that the only time divorce was acceptable was on the grounds of infidelity. But not many people listened to him. Why not? It wasn't what they wanted to hear, right? Yeah, so they're like, forget that guy. What's he talking about? Right? I want a better dinner. Right? Okay. So the Pharisees, with this context in mind, asked Jesus what he thought of the law. In typical Jesus fashion, he immediately turns the query back on the questioners by asking them what Moses commanded. They are more than happy to supply the answer because they love saying what Moses said. 
And they say Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. They're referencing, of course, that Deuteronomy passage. Now, things are going swimmingly well for the Pharisees at this point, as Jesus seems to be playing right into their hand. But then things go sideways for them. Jesus says, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. Pharisees don't like the sound of this. According to Jesus, the Pharisees have misunderstood both Jesus' question and also the commandment that had come from Moses. They misunderstood the commandment because, as I explained it earlier, it wasn't uh, like carte blanche, you can just write her a certificate of divorce and it's over. It was really about protecting that wife from a husband who might try to manipulate her and take more money from her. And they misunderstood Jesus' question because when he asked what Moses commanded them, they should not have been looking to Deuteronomy and that verse, but rather to Genesis to show us what Moses commanded and what God's intent is, Jesus takes us to the garden. There we have the teaching of Moses, that a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is what Jesus was looking for when he asked them if it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. He wanted them to think about what God intended for marriage. Instead of looking at the exclusions or what ways can we get out of it, he wanted them to look at the original intent of marriage. He did this because they lived in a world in which a man could divorce his wife for a poorly cooked dinner or because he saw something better walking by. All that he needed to do was write out a piece of paper saying, This is your certificate of divorce. You are free to marry again. And then give it to his wife in the presence of two witnesses. And that was it. No recourse. No like, well, I don't don't want to get divorced. No protection. No security. No safety. Just write it out. Get two people to watch it. And it's done. Here Jesus confronts this disposable wife syndrome. And tells them, no matter what your teachers teach, the intent of marriage was for the two to become one. And isn't that true? Right? We might have experienced great pain and suffering and hardship in divorce or in previous marriages. But do any of us argue that you weren't intended to be together forever initially? Did anyone get into the marriage thinking, boy, this will work for a few years and then I'll be looking for something else? Did you? We all go in hoping, believing, trusting that this is going to work. That this person and you will be together forever. Isn't that right? None of us intended for it to be short term. But sometimes life happens, doesn't it? Sometimes we discover that that person is horribly abusive. Or an alcoholic or a drug addict or abuses our children or... Or that they have a thing for other people, right? Sometimes we discover that, and we're unable to maintain that relationship. But it's not our intent. It's not the intent of marriage, and all of us understand and know that and feel that inside viscerally when things start to fall apart. Jesus made these statements because he wanted to correct the worldview 
of the people who were asking him this question. He wanted them to understand that the two are one flesh and should not be separated. He then goes on to say that those who do divorce and remarry or have sexual relations with others after divorce commit adultery because the original bond is still in effect. That is his teaching on it, that this bond can't be broken apart. Is that painful and difficult? Yeah, it is definitely painful and difficult. And so we live in a nation where divorce touches us all. We know the pain, the shame, the guilt, the hurt that comes through this. Jesus spoke several times on divorce, uh, and we're not going to be able to cover them all, but Matthew, uh, he has a very similar passage to the one here, but he raises the exception that one is freed from marriage if their spouse is unfaithful, unfaithful through fornication. Is that a word you all use every day, fornication? Right, it was, uh, um, in Judaism, fornication covered a large group of sexual sins, including adultery, incest, homosexuality. There was this whole big list of things that um, fornication covered. And Paul allows that if your spouse is is faithless and wants to leave, they can. You can't keep them. Similarly, though not clearly delineated in the Bible, Abusive relationships are often grouped in here, like alcohol abuse, drug abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. We often group those in this kind of um, faithlessness category. Now, these are reasons why some relationships fail. But why should marriage succeed? Which is really Jesus' point, right? Not let's talk about all the exceptions. Let's talk about why marriage should succeed. Well, for a husband and wife to be together forever, raising children, loving one another, loving God, there to be a sign to the world of the grace of God. This should be a challenge to all of us, every single one of us. Not merely those who have experienced the pain of that falling apart, but even those who are in marriages that have managed to hold together. Do we do this well? Because if you do, you should be preaching the sermon, not me. I'll tell you that right now. Right? I suffer under this. I fail my wife in so many ways. It is the human condition that we do not love each other as we are called to love each other. That we hurt each other. We let each other down. We fail. All of us, no matter if marriages are intact or have been broken, we all fall short of the intent of marriage. We then are called to repent and to seek the grace of God. This is the same for each and every one of us. We confess the ways we've fallen short. We confess our part in the breaking down of relationship. And we ask for God's mercy and forgiveness. Let us repent of the ways we failed in our marriages. Let's be forgiven by God and be reconciled as best we can with our exes or those we're still married to. And forgive them the ways they've harmed us and wound us. And then may we move forward because we're not supposed to sit in shame. We're not supposed to sit under the cloud of guilt our whole lives. We have been forgiven and set free. May we take that freedom and rejoice as our Lord gives us new blessings in our life. As the Lord heals and redeems and restores those years that the locusts have eaten. May we be people, resurrection people, who 
who don't live in the past and what didn't succeed, but rather move forward in hope, looking forward to what the Lord will bring in the future. Now, it might not sound like it all the time, but that permanence of the bond of marriage that we talked about, right, those deep welds which cause two to become one, it's good news. And it's good news not necessarily because we do really well in our marriages, but it's good news because there is one marriage which never fails. That is the marriage between Jesus Christ and his church. That weld has been formed and forged with his blood poured out on the cross. That marriage, that two becoming one flesh between us and Jesus Christ can never be broken, can never fall short, can never fail. No matter what we might do on our side of the bargain, Jesus Christ will always be faithful to us for all eternity. May we be people who receive the grace of God through confessing our brokenness to him. May we be people who honestly evaluate our lives, repent of ways we've fallen short, confess those things to Jesus Christ, have them be forgiven and taken from us. So the Lord says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I separated your sins from you. Right? May we be people who allow God to take our sin of the past wash it away and give us a fresh and new future to follow him, to worship him, to love him, and to serve and love the world he has placed us in. Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May we hear and receive this word. May we allow his forgiveness to wash us clean. Let's pray. Lord God, we all stand convicted before you. We are all people who have fallen short of your desire and intent for us in relationships, Lord. We are people who have not loved our neighbor as ourselves, Lord. We haven't loved those people you have put in our relationship as we have loved ourselves, Lord. We confess that to you and ask that you would forgive us. And then, Lord God, we pray that you would rain down your mercy upon us. Wash clean that which has become sullied. Make new that which is destroyed, Lord. And we pray that you would give us hope and joy to move forward into the days ahead and to receive blessings that you put before us, Lord. May we not continue to dwell in the past, but may we trust that you can provide a beautiful future for us. Thank you, Lord, for being faithful to us forever. And we pray that you would help us to enjoy you and to worship you all the days of our life. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.